Welcome to another edition of Keeping Score Podcast with Nate Heinz and Ryan Haravi. World Cup is in full swing now with four of the groups having played their first fixtures and four more yet to come. There's been plenty of star power, late drama, fascinating results, and multiple VAR stoppages. In today's episode, we will review the matches thus far and give our opinion on where each team stands. Hope you enjoy our second podcast. On the opening day, we had a fascinating match between Russia and Saudi Arabia in which Russia completely dominated the play. They ended up beating Saudi 5-0, but it was a lot more, it was, it was a slower start to the game. Uh, yeah, the first 30 minutes seemed a bit nervy from both, from both teams and nothing really started to happen of substance until um, Gazinki, I believe, scored off a corner and... Russia pretty much cruised to a victory from there on out. My takeaway from this game is not Russia's performance, which was really a really solid, great performance in the opening fixture. My takeaway is how does Zhagov look coming off that pulled hamstring, which I think may have just ended his tournament. Yeah, it looked like he pulled up um, when he was running on a counterattack, and his hamstring just gave away, and but that gave an opportunity for Dennis, Dennis Cheryshev, who came on and was arguably the man of the match with a second goal of the game, a fantastic goal at the end, and he really solidified that play in the midfield to help Russia get the win. But I think coming back, I just want to see how Zhagov looks because he's really the metronome in their midfield. But Golovin f- filled in really well, and interestingly in that game, they're playing Zhagov kind of off the striker, not even in a midfield role. He was more so playing as a secondary support striker. Yeah, Russia, That throughout that entire game, though, I mean, we, we have to realize they were playing Saudi Arabia, arguably the weakest opponent in this group stage. So there was all the excitement. And, of course, home country, there's going to be excitement after you win a game 5-0. But your next two opponents in Uruguay and Egypt will be far more superior to Saudi Arabia, and it will be very difficult, especially without Zhagov, if his hamstring is not able to go. Moving on from Russia, which I agree was a great performance, let's move on to the big game of this group this time round in fixture round one, which is Uruguay versus Egypt, in which Egypt really set up to defend and kept their shape throughout the game. Their goalkeeper, Al Sereni, was very solid in that, making Luis Suarez almost inert by himself. Well, the goalkeeping play from El Sereni, you said? El Sereni? Al Sereni. Al Sereni was fantastic. I really enjoyed watching him throughout that game. Young, young, inexperienced goalkeeper on the international level, but that didn't show at all. He had some fabulous saves, a big, big one-on-one save with Suarez. Actually, two one-on-one saves with Suarez, who never really seemed, like you said, feel comfortable in this match. Uh, yeah, and... It took a minute of lackluster set-piece defending from Egypt for all their hard work for 90 minutes to unravel with Jose Maria Jimenez scoring a really well-guided header, a really well guided header into the bottom corner. Yeah, and you almost feel bad for Egypt at the end of that one because they played so well. They played their hearts out. They defended the ball so well. We're behind the ball the entire game. Didn't, didn't provide too much going forward, but we're so strong that you feel like they might deserve a point out of that one. Did you agree with Hector Cooper's decision not to bring on Mohamed Salah at the end of the game? The way that that match had been going was very defensive. So I think if Uruguay had scored a goal much earlier in the game, Salah could have seen some action. But we don't know his true status um, with his shoulder. And I feel like... 
they the media didn't there were the Egypt, Egyptians Egypt's coach was not very vocal about Salah's status. Well, he did say he was 100% playing this game. Do you think that was more so a smokescreen looking back at it? I think he was saying that to get the media off of his back. Okay. Um, let's move on to how do you think these teams stand after one game in this Group A? Well, I think Uruguay obviously sets themselves up well, playing the two weaker opponents already with three points. Um, but the... The biggest one will be Russia Egypt in this next one in this next match. Russia Egypt will decide who gets second in this group. And for Egypt, this is a must win because Russia's and they must win big because Russia's goal difference after the Saudi match is astronomically high. Even though the tiebreakers goal difference, I don't necessarily think Egypt need to win big. They just need to win because their last match is against Saudi Arabia who I think they should comfortably beat, and Uruguay should beat Russia, and therefore Egypt would be able to be ahead of Russia on points either way. See, but after this first round of fixtures, I really like the way Russia played. Granted, it was against Saudi Arabia, as you said before, but they really were on full throttle, never really letting up, which I think will go far away, will go a far way against Uruguay because they just look fearless when they play. They look like some a team with no pressure, even though they're at home, interestingly, unlike Brazil, who seem to have the whole country on their shoulders. Well, I think that pressure might build up if they find themselves losing in a match. I mean, th- the game against Saudi Arabia was so easy. There was never really a challenge there. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what comes of that later on when they face a much more quality opponent in Uruguay and Egypt. Yeah, and the complexion of this group will change with the introduction of Mohamed Salah into an Egyptian side, which gives them their leader, their voice, their main man back up top, which we have yet to see in this World Cup. Yeah, and that's really the big game on Tuesday, and that pretty much rounds out Group A. Looking forward to these next few matches. Moving on to Group B, and the surprising group leader currently is Iran, who beat Morocco 1-0 with a 90th plus 5th minute own goal to end that one in what was a back-and-forth game. I didn't think it was much of a back-and-forth game. I think it was mostly a midfield battle where it was boring at points in the game with not many chances. Iran's biggest chance wasn't even the goal they scored. They had a breakaway. Asmunjais who wasn't great this whole game, just fluffed his lines and hit it straight at the Moroccan goalkeeper. Yeah, and who Fox Sports calls the Iranian Messi. The Azamun really never looked comfortable in that game. His touch was off, and you expected him to show up a lot more and be that leader and help them progress. And, you know, Iran's defense the entire game was fantastic. So was Morocco's. Both teams defended the ball very well, got behind on a counterattack, and were able to really produce... Um, from the defensive end when it mattered. Yeah, I believe also the goalkeepers in this game were very solid, and it was very unfortunate for one of these goalkeepers to take a loss in this game as both deserved a result with the way they were playing. Both goalkeepers played well. I think Iran's goalkeeper, a little bit. he had a little bit more action. He had that fantastic save on the volley, lower. He got a right hand to it and parried it wide. That was a fantastic save. He was solid throughout the match, and he was definitely a big reason why Iran were in this game and able to get the three points. Nevertheless, the highlight of this game was Amrabat's concussion. <laughs> that was that was very funny. So uh, in case you didn't watch the game, Amrabat was a uh, uh, Moroccan forward 
or outside midfielder, was knocked down, was dazed on the sideline, and the trainers, he appeared to clearly have a concussion, and the trainers were slapping his face to try and wake him up from this dazed state. Yeah, and they were also uh, spilling water on him with a little squirty bottle. I guess you could call that modern medicine. (laughs) Oh, Morocco, never change. Yeah, I mean, it'll be hard for, speaking of Morocco, it'll be really hard for them to recover with, after that one because this match was so critical and I really don't see them rebounding from this loss. I think it may be zero points in the group stage for Morocco. They have faced a daunting task going up against Portugal who looked really good at points in that Spain-Portugal game and Ronaldo really took over that game. Yeah, well maybe the, not maybe, the match of the World Cup so far, that 3-3 thriller, Ronaldo was fantastic really cemented his legacy after not really performing in World Cups, coming out and scoring three goals. Spain was fantastic. It was just a back-and-forth game. What a thriller. Crazy uh, point from that game was Ronaldo doubled his World Cup goal tally in one game. He was sitting at three World Cup goals, and now he's at six. And David De Gea did gift him that one, which was shocker, as he's considered one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And that shot goes right off his hands and into the corner. And that was very surprising to see. And a big momentum shifter. Besides um, Ronaldo, I'd like to give a shout out to my main man, William Carvalho, who really solidified that midfield for Portugal, being the metronome that they needed. As I've stated before on the last podcast, he was my man to watch for the Portuguese. Carvalho was excellent, but... Let's talk about these Spanish goals. Diego Costa showing some world-class finishing. And we, know, we normally see him score just physical goals. He showed some tiki-taka Spanish class. Oh, that goal, the first goal. I think he meant to foul Pepe on that um, forearm shiver that Pepe fell down from. Yeah, he missed the elbow, and it was very interesting because VAR could have reviewed that and called it back. I don't think they would have called it back because it was more so a 50-50 ball going into the air. And then Diego Costa, being Diego Costa, physic- physically imposing guy, bullied the Portuguese center backs and just beautiful finishes, whipping it around both the both the center backs and into the back of the net, bottom left corner. Nothing Patricio could have done. And then Nacho with that fantastic volley with perfect backspin on it, off both posts and into the corner. You can't hit a better strike than that. Who do you think had the better of the play that game? Which which, which means Spain or Portugal? Yeah. I think Spain overall played better than Portugal, but Portugal had the game. Portugal were out of their comfort zone for a while, and they would have lost if they didn't get that free kick at the end. Now, what a brilliant shot from Ronaldo. Perfect dip on that free kick. And if they weren't able to get that, they they didn't have anything an answer once Spain went up three two because they that's not their style of play they don't play from behind. Also, I just think Portugal looked tired at the end of that game. All the running they do, which is required under Fernando Santos led team because they're always defending, pressing, passing lanes, and pushing, trying to get the ball back and counter, which is the style that they play, which is inducive to success against a possession based team because eventually you're going to make a mistake in possession. And their lack of uh, pressing at the end of the match in those 20 minutes before the free kick was evident, and they really had no energy left. But fortunately, Ronaldo, maybe the best player in the world, was able to bail them out and get a huge point in this group. 
one change I'd like to see from the Portuguese is I'd like to see Guedes taken off as he looked poor. He looked like unplayable in that game. I want to see Gelson Martins get some looks. A very highly rated player out of Sporting's academy who has pace, strength, and an end product. I didn't like that Fernando Santos did not bring him off the bench, and I want to see him in the Iran game. Sorry, Morocco, right? Yes, Portugal's next one is against Morocco. Spain is against Iran in both huge matches, especially that Spain-Iran one with Iran leading the group currently. But we've had a fantastic Group B. Looking forward to more matches in this one. Moving on to Group C with France-Australia kicking off the games this morning. France really looked poor to me. They looked like they underestimated the physicality of the Australian defending. And I I feel like they've got very fortunate in winning that one 2-1. to one. I feel like it was a very fortunate result also. Um, Australia really came out with a game plan. As the coach said before, he said 9 out of 10 times will not pick up the result, but we're fighting for that one time that will pick up the result. And they almost picked up the result as it took a moment of luck on that chip from Paul Pogba to actually steal points away from the Australians. So I felt like we're unfortunate in this game. And it was it reminded me of that Egypt-Uruguay game with France knocking on the door for most of the game while the... Australians were sitting back and defending, and defended very well, might I add. They gave up a penalty in the 51st minute off a VAR review, which is the first one we've seen in this World Cup. The foul was not originally called. The referee went off the field, went to look at the play, and determined that it was a penalty kick. And rightfully so, as Griezmann was clipped in the box, and he finished his dinner at the end of the day with a beautiful penalty. The the Australian goalkeeper didn't even move, Matt Ryan. Yeah, no chance for Matt Ryan there, who I felt like had a very solid game himself. But Griezmann slotted it in the corner, gave him the lead. But then right after, Australia came right back, scored on their own penalty two or three minutes later with Umtiti with the handball. Yeah, Umtiti with the handball. And Yerenak with just a classy penalty. Got Lloris wrong-footed and slotted it on the opposite side. But moving on, I'd like to see France introduce Giroud back into the team, oddly enough. Because the front three looks like it just needs that little bit of experience that a Giroud brings to a team with Dembele and Lamar. Kind of similar players on each flank. I'd like to see them move Griezmann out to the flank and bring in Giroud to bring a physical presence to that side. So who would you drop out of the starting lineup then, Mbappe or Dembele? I'd drop out Dembele. I agree with that. Bring him off the bench. He'd be really good running at tired defenses in the 60th minute or so. And with Lamar coming off the bench, I think they have two great wingers off that bench. And I'd also like to see Matuidi next game for a little bit. I know he didn't have the greatest of years at Juventus, but he's always been a solid friend, player for the French national team. But Tolisso also... How did Tolisso play, in your opinion? Uh, I per- I felt Tolisso didn't play particularly well. I didn't think he played poorly. But I would... I know I mentioned this with you, and you didn't seem to like the idea, but I would actually like to start Nabil Fakir in the midfield over Tolisso. I feel like that would be too attacking, as France already has Pogba, who ideally I'd want to see play more of an advanced role than a number 8 role. I'd like to see him more as a pseudo-number 10, 
And I'd also like to see Fakir more advanced with Conte holding down the fort or Matuidi in the Tolisso role, who is a bit more defensive than Tolisso also. I think it also depends on your opponent. I think in a game like Australia, you could have started Fekir with Australia sitting back and parking the bus. Granted, when they're playing a team like Denmark or Peru, they might see similar tactics. And that's why I feel Fekir could... And maybe you play Tolisso to start and bring on Fekir like they did today, but maybe just a little bit earlier to provide them a bit more spark off the bench. Moving on to that Peru-Denmark game, Peru really surprised me with their build-up play as they looked fearless going building up an attack and it really took one moment of goalkeeping gaff to undo all that Peru was doing. Yeah and the commentators didn't really pick up on this but the goalkeeper for Peru came out on the breakaway and didn't cut off the angle. He left his near post wide open pretty much which allowed uh, Polson to take a touch to his left and slot it near post for what was an easy goal yeah and let's talk about that var missed penalty by uh, cuevas an interesting run-up he didn't look confident at all taking that penalty well i've never been a fan of the stutter step before you take a penalty i think you should step up take two steps and just pass it into the corner you don't need pace on it you don't need to blast a penalty you need to just place it in the corner and cuevas launched that one over the net that was embarrassing Moving on, uh, what do you want to see from Peru next game? Well, Peru really showed, after Denmark scored, the game was wide open, and Peru had so many chances. Let's talk about how great Kasper Schmeichel was, making some fantastic saves for Denmark, securing them with those three points. Yeah, um, Kasper Schmeichel really played well. He didn't have much to deal with in the first half other than the penalty, which he didn't even have to deal with at the end of the day. But after the 60th minute was Peru attack after Peru attack. And that came along with the introduction of their leader, Paulo Guerrero, who I don't know why he didn't start. Uh, there was a report that he might have been a bit injured before the game. So maybe he was coming on as a change of pace and change the pace he did. He came on right away, a header on target right at Casper Schmeichel. Completely changed the complexion of that game for Peru, giving them more attack going forward. And they almost scored a fantastic back heel that went just wide. They were fantastic going forward, but Kasper Schmeichel ran in the way, ran in their way. And many people may be counting at Peru now, but don't be surprised if they pick up a great result against France and Australia and still move through because this team showed that. In the first four groups, they were the most tactically advanced team in the groups. They were the most electric team in the groups. And, and they were the most exciting team in the groups. They really showed that under Garcia, they have, they have an attractive brand of football and shown their tactical adaptiveness as they played multiple styles this game, not just one style. Yeah, the first half they sat back and they defended a lot. Even first 20 minutes, they had the majority of the possession. They were going forward. Then the next 20, Denmark kind of came back at them. They sat back. They defended. They got back on the counterattack. I felt like they're, they defended the, very well throughout the entire game. Yeah, and that's why I wouldn't be surprised to see Peru go through, even though they are on the back foot now with only, I believe, 12% of teams that lose their opening games advancing in World Cup history. Yeah, and... I, for me, I think Denmark going through, you see 50, 53 of 60 or 51 of 60 of the teams that have won their first match go through. And I just see Peru is, I don't, they're so far behind the bar now with 
Denmark ahead of them. Denmark's playing Australia in their next one. Peru must pick up a win against France if they have any hope. Denmark should beat Australia in their next one. And if Denmark do that, it's going to be very hard for Peru, even with a win against France, to get in over Denmark. Yeah, moving on from Group C, which was a very fantastic set of two matches. Let's move on to Group D, which was more of a defensive midfield knockdown type games. Let's start with the Argentina-Iceland game, which saw Messi really negated. Well, many of you will be shocked at the results in that game. But if you looked back at our last podcast, I said that Iceland would come out and thwart Argentina's attack. Iceland would come out. Argentina hasn't played together coherently, and I really saw Iceland to capitalize on that, and sure enough, they did today. Yeah, and it took one little Finn Bogason tap-in to give them the point on the day and give the Icelandic people the win on the day. And Willie Caballero left that parry right out there for Finn Bogason. And I just feel like as a World Cup goalkeeper, you got to deal with that better. Yeah, and what are your thoughts on Messi? I felt like he felt too much pressure on the day, really not being himself and playing freely. He felt like he had a whole country on his shoulders and wasn't messy. Well, that was clearly evident near the end of the match when the final whistle blew and he launched that ball up in the sky out of frustration. Messi was not on his game today. He missed a penalty kick, which was not placed, and it was a great save, but not placed in a very good spot. Messi almost, he was on the doorstep. He knocked on the doorstep all game, but he, the, the physicality of Iceland, I really think, was a huge reason why Messi was not as successful today as he could have been. In this game, I also didn't like Sam Pauli's coaching decisions. The substitutes came way too late. Why was Higuain only introduced in the 82nd-ish minute? And Benega introduced in the 55th minute. Why was Benega even put into the game? Yeah, I'd like to see Paulo Dybala play. I think he plays very well off Messi. Their styles are very similar, and I think that they are both on the same page as brains and footballing style goes. I'd really like to see Paulo Dybala in the next game for Argentina. I don't know why Sampoli has this beef with Dybala as he really doesn't play that much. And I'd just like to see him introduced. I'd also like to see Higuain introduced earlier into the game. That Hal Dorson did a great job pairing away as he didn't really see that ball till the very last second. Well, as a goalkeeper, that ball's crossed in and Hal Dorson was expecting a touch from Aguero who just missed the ball, and he has to make a last-minute reaction save to get a hand on that, and that was, a, that was a fantastic play. He was fantastic, saved a penalty, crucial save, some nice gamesmanship laid on after he would come and catch some crosses, stay on the ground, waste a few seconds, really cement that draw for Iceland in what was their first World Cup match. Honestly, those Icelandic center halves deserved the keys to the city. Gunnarsson and was it Sigurdsson Dis- d- did a great job negating anything Argentina had going forward. Well, the entire Iceland squad spent the the day behind the ball, just parking the bus they only and had defending. Twenty one percent possession the whole game, and that's okay. You don't need to be flashy. You, they Iceland have their style, and they 
will play that. I think they won't play that way quite as much. They won't play as much defensively against Croatia and Nigeria. They'll look to get forward a little bit more, but still, you don't. They're not a team that's going to possess the ball the entire game. That was just tactical masterpiece in the players performing the manager's game plan, which got the Icelandic team the result and the hearts of many more people similarly to the Euros in 2016. With the skull clap after the game, that was fantastic to see. All the fans stayed out. All the players went over to their family, came out on there, really celebrated what was a great day for the country. Yep, and now let's move on to... The more boring game in the group, Croatia-Nigeria. I expected this game to be a lot more open with the both teams' attacks. Uh, their front lines are so dynamic. But we saw a stalemate for quite some time in the first half with just pinball in the midfield. I, also, I honestly think the whole game was pinball in the midfield with the only two goals for Croatia being a penalty and a own goal off a corner. And both... The, both the mistakes for Nigeria came off their weakness, which has been set pieces, as in the friendlies. In each of the three games, they conceded a set-piece goal with Banega off a free kick, Kalas on a corner, and then um, Gary Cahill also on a court. Nigeria really showed that they didn't improve on their set-piece defending in their training sessions this week, and they really just showed how inexperienced and young they are. And they're the youngest team in this World Cup, so you somewhat expect that. And Croatia have more experience than Nigeria do. And Croatia, really, I feel the experience brought them through this win when neither team played well. But that experience got them those two goals. The mental lapses from Nigeria cost them in this one. Yeah, but I what what were your thoughts on the 19-year-old goalkeeper for Nigeria? I was impressed. I felt he was very good in the air off some crosses. There neither there was nothing he could do about either goal, uh penalty kick and the own goal, and I thought he st- stood his ground back there and held the fort up pretty well for Nigeria. I also finally think that Croatia have the Modric Rakitic dynamic just right as both seem to really pick their spots to go forward unlike previous years with this Croat team where they struggled to integrate Modric and Rakitic today they look like a unit instead of two great players I I would like to see Croatia to be a bit more dynamic though I felt like they would get forward today a bit more and I didn't see that. I wasn't impressed. I, I'm high on Croatia, but I wasn't impressed today. And what a crucial match that is with Croatia and Argentina in the next one. Yeah, Croatia-Argentina will pretty much put Croatia through if they win with a great result. And I see them winning because they play together and as a unit, even though today they may have not shown their ability. It's the first game. You never judge a team in the World Cup off their first game because they... The first game is usually a nerve game. You feel out the tournament. Don't forget Spain in 2010 when they lost Switzerland in the first game. The first game really is more of a get-your-feet-wet type game. And then as you go on, you figure out what your best style going forward is. And I think Croatia will do that as an experienced team. And I think they'll come out looking to really beat Argentina, not sit back and take Argentina like Iceland did. I think they think that they could get the job done and qualify next game round. Well, I think Argentina need to win a bit more than Croatia do since Croatia's sitting on three points and Argentina's got one. Argentina really will come out 
and attack, try and get that win. But I see this one ending in a draw. I think both teams will counterpunch each other. I think it ends in a 1-1 draw. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a draw because that means if Iceland beats Nigeria, then Croatia and Iceland will be sitting pretty on four points and Argentina will be on two, meaning if Croatia and Iceland draw and Argentina doesn't win big, those two teams will go through. Yeah, this group is it's very interesting and it's still wide open. Nigeria could very well beat Iceland. Anything can happen. And this, I would like to see a bit more from Nigeria against Iceland, and I think it'll be even more difficult for them going forward against that brutal defense that Iceland has. I'd like to see Nigeria not play so rough. They, you think of Nigeria, you think of the Super Eagles, you think of the JJ Akachas flying around doing fantastic things, and I'd like to see Nigeria go back to their roots and play Nigerian football. They really didn't do that this game. I don't even know what they were doing today. It was it was quite shocking to me. I was looking forward to this game and maybe the most boring game of the World Cup so far. Uh, except for the Russia-Saudi Arabia game because that was just Saudi getting demolished. But this game... I'd like to see Ahmed Musa play better. Awobi was really the only bright spark as he had a few moments, especially that um, hit off the corner where he did the where it got deflected. I really liked Awobi's defensive work rate, and and I think he was the best player on the pitch for Nigeria on the day. I didn't see Agallo get a touch of the ball at all, so I'd like to see Ian Nacho start for, start for Nigeria up top. And I'd also like to see Ahmed Musa introduced earlier into games, running at tired defenses, which has which he's really good at. Yeah, and Argentina, Nigeria, Croatia, Iceland, all good teams, and I'm really looking forward to the rest of this group. Now, what's your biggest takeaway from the first three match days thus far? My biggest takeaway is penalties on penalties on penalties. Five of the eight games have had penalties. And yeah, I mean the the penalty kicks have they influence games, but I I really like how VAR gets the call right. You won't have a match changing call anymore because you can go back and review it and truly get the true call. Also, my favorite team from these first four groups has been Peru. As I've stated before, they really surprised me. I said I liked Peru in the preview podcast, but. They came out and showed why the, to the world why, why they qualified out of that gauntlet, which is South American qualifying. And I feel bad that they didn't get a result as they were clearly the better team. And I think they were the best overall team play in their, in this round of first four groups. And my biggest takeaway is Iran. Iran are sitting atop Group B right now. And... If they can somehow, if they, I mean, they defend the ball well. They defend very well, and they will be very hard to score against, even for Portugal and Spain. And if Iran is somehow able to squeak out some results, we could see a shocker in this group with Iran going through over one of the heavyweights. I, I'm Persian, and I don't see that happening. Iran usually doesn't show up at big tournaments because the players don't play as a team even though today they showed yesterday sorry they showed that they could play as a team but against the bigger teams these persian players usually try to get 
into the shopping windows of big European teams and get into bigger outfits, which usually is the Achilles heel of these Persians as it's more flash than substance. The attack was useless, and I don't think that you could win or draw against Portugal and Spain scoring zero goals, which, don't forget, Iran didn't score a goal. It was Morocco who scored the goal for them. Yes, but Iran's, they set themselves up well defensively. And you Morocco is another team that sits back. And Mor- it wasn't like Morocco was throwing numbers forward the entire game. Morocco was playing a very similar style to Iran. And that kind of that showed in the clash between the two teams. Now, Spain and Portugal will try and push numbers forward to get the goals. And I think Osmoon might be a bit better on the counterattack now for Iran. And I think you could just see them their attack being better with more space they will see against Portugal and Spain. I'm also concerned about their best player, Jahan Bach's health, who pulled up at the end and did the substitute sign and actually left on a stretcher, which many people thought was a cramp, but he left on a stretcher, and I'd like to see what his, what his health is going forward before I make a decision on Iran because his he, he's really the focal point of that attack, and I'd also like to see Masoud Shoujai get off the field. And this that's it for our second podcast to Keeping Score with Nate Hines and Ryan Haravi, and we'll be back to you on Tuesday with the next set of groups, which is E through H. And thank you for listening and give us feedback, please. We have a Twitter page, which is linked to our Instagram, and I will give you our Instagram real quick. It's keepingscore.podcast. And that's spelled exactly how it sounds, no caps, just a period in between uh, keeping score and podcast. And... Thank you to our listeners last week. We really appreciated that you guys gave us a chance last week, and we hope to improve our abilities and our podcasting as we go along. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you for listening. That is it for this week's episode.